welcome back to Profess. I'm Calvin. I'm Wayne. And today we're uh, actually hosting our show before a live studio audience in the form of Thomas Webb. Say hi, Woo! Tom. Hey. Yeah, he's he's our he's our uh, he's our audience today. He's not really like chiming in or anything, but he's here listening to us do this. So that's cool. And we hope you enjoyed that first track. Uh, that's actually Ignition from the uh, live. Toby Mac CD DVD combo called Alive and Transported, uh, which we will uh, talk about at length in a little bit. Uh, but first, we want to hit you up on some news. Uh, in the world of politics, uh, Barack Obama has clinched the Democratic nomination. He smacked the crap out of uh, Hillary Clinton. That sounds horrible. That sounds horrible saying that? Yeah, to say a man smacked the crap out of a woman, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> I do not condone that kind of politics. I, I, I meant figuratively speaking. Uh, he, he never actually physically uh, touched her. That would have ruined that whole endorsement. That, yeah, and then he was endorsed uh, by Clinton later on. Um, so clearly he didn't ever manhandle or uh, touch her in any way inappropriate for a Christian man. Um, anyway... A new generation of uh, Christian leaders are actually embracing Barack Obama, which is really... There's way too much touching going on in this entire story. Manhandling, embracing, beating, I'm sorry. Okay, for anybody who was offended by anything that I said, especially if you were one of our female listeners, I am sorry. Barack Obama is a uh, upwardly mobile African-American male who does not hit women, and uh, Hillary Clinton has never been hit. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. That's very definitive. That's very definitive. I'm glad okay. you know all of that. Um, but you know what? The the liberal media will probably only play the uh, the first half of what I said, if they are even listening. Why would the liberal? Why would anyone be listening to this? I mean, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate those of you who are listening. If any of you have friends in the liberal media, please don't let them know about this podcast. You can let them know about the first three uh, episodes, but the fourth one. Um, never happened. Anyhow, um, so Barack Obama is being embraced by a new generation of Christian leaders, which is really interesting because he's democratic. And as of late, Christians seem to have been very intimately tied to the Republican Party. So this is kind of an interesting shift. Uh, I don't know what to think of it. I don't vote along party lines myself, but it's kind of a it's a it's a neat shift. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, there definitely has been a shift. I'm curious to see if it sticks. If all of a sudden we're gonna have the kind of shift that we had, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, when all of a sudden everyone Christian went over to Republican, and that was like the Christian thing to do. I don't know. It it to me, Barack Obama is the emergent church representative. Like he doesn't belong to an emergent church, but the social justice aspects of what he's saying, the the uh, political and economic reform that he's fighting for just goes hand in hand with what people are asking for in their churches. So I see you're going to have a split between fundamentalists and their kids here as to who they're voting. So that's my guess. Um, speaking of more political news, um, political uh, pundit, the, the host of Meet the Press, uh, Tim Russert has passed on. He died of a massive heart attack. It was just very sudden. He'd just come back from Italy. He was on a vacation with his uh, wife and his son. Uh, his son had just uh, graduated from Boston College. So that's kind of um, a, a big deal right now. People are saying that he was kind of the, the last of a dying breed in terms of uh, news people, especially those who report on politics. So the the whole political world is mourning right now. I mean, 
Barack Obama commented on it. The Clintons uh, commented on it. Uh, President uh, and Laura Bush commented on this. So uh, you've got Tom Brokaw talking about it. And it was really just th this big deal in the political world right now. So if you can remember Tim Russert in, in your thoughts uh, and his family this week, if you keep them in your, in your prayers. Uh, moving on. Uh, religulous is a relig religious or religious. I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. This new documentary by Bill Maurer. He used to host uh, the television show. Um, a I can't even remember the name of the television show right now. Or Real Time with Bill Maurer, and uh, he's just an outspoken atheist, very very uh, critical of organized religion, especially Christianity. And this new documentary coming out. Um, you can actually see the uh, preview for it on uh, apple.com backslash trailers, and you will see him going around and interviewing people who are religious, especially Christians, and just kind of really poking fun at them and asking some, some questions and getting answers from what it looks like, but not really accepting what he hears. Um, it's kind of a big deal. He's a very controversial guy, uh, very hard to shut down in conversation just because I think he comes from the school of thought that Whoever is still talking at the end of the conversation wins mm -hmm. by default. I'm not a big fan of his, never have been, but I'm really interested in seeing this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I guess I'll withhold judgment until I actually see the entire movie, but I did watch the trailer, and it looks like he's doing what every modern entertainment documentary person is doing right now, which is trying to find the most extreme examples of any point, you know, religious or not, mm -hmm. and kind of exploiting them and acting as if that's popular view. I don't think this is an academic pursuit. I don't think this is a very informative documentary, from what I can tell. But it sounds like it'll be entertaining. And for everyone who wants to, you know, scoff at religion, it'll give them something to laugh about. Um, and for those of us that can laugh at ourselves, give us something to laugh right. at. And then for others, it's going to be very offensive. So it'll get attention. People will watch it, whether or not it's actually quality. Yeah, it's going to be very polarizing. I remember uh, a youth pastor I used to work with said, you know, those who don't want to believe always find a reason not to. And I think people who don't want a reason to believe are going to go to this movie. You know, this is me making my judgment call before I go see it. And, you know, just from the preview, you can kind of tell. I, I think I already got a feel for it. But uh, people who don't want to believe are going to go and they're going to watch it. And the arguments that are made are going to be really, you know, kind of half-full arguments. Um, and they're going to walk out saying that was absolutely amazing and just 100% prove the point that there is no God, and I just really don't think that... Um, I don't think this movie is going to prove that, clearly. You know, right. Otherwise, the conversation wouldn't continue on after the movie releases. But I think the movie is going to do very well. I think something, real quick, that this uh, challenges the church to do as well, though, is this is a very biased, propaganda-filled-sounding argument. And I think we need to... As we enter to this discussion, we need to make sure we're not doing the same thing. I think you see that a lot um, in churches and theologians, not really like having a conversation, but just using uh, language that just makes atheists sound stupid or whatever mm -hmm. like that. And it's the same problem, at least intellectually, on either side. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping he does what Ben Stein did with Expelled. I mean, obviously, that was polarizing also, where Ben Stein, uh, for those of you listening who don't know what this movie was, this documentary, Ben Stein looked at intelligent design, he interviewed scientific atheists, and he interviewed scientists who believe in intelligent design, and he just let the, the people speak for themselves. And in my opinion, the, the scientific atheists made themselves look really, really, really stupid. He didn't have to do it for them. 
So I'm hoping in this film that if he's trying to make Christians or religious people in general look stupid, he just lets them speak for themselves rather than he gives commentary on it. Because mm. I think there are plenty of religious nutcases out there that his case is going to be made pretty easily. But, you know, like Wayne was saying, I think he's going to look at, you know, the extreme versions in Christianity where that doesn't represent the majority of us. So, um, in other news, Jake Chisholm... Uh, one of our uh, reviewers for uh, the Christian Manifesto has decided to phase out the bookshelf review. He's been working on that site for uh, for the last year, and I came across his uh, his reviews, liked them, asked him to come write for us, or asked him if I could actually just kind of cut and paste his reviews from there and put them on our site. And uh, we've been talking in the last few weeks, and he's actually decided to phase out that website and just write for the Christian Manifesto exclusively. So in a way, I'm kind of feeling like uh, like Walmart. Like, uh, yeah, did I, we just buy him out? I think we just shut down a small business. Okay. Um, and so, you know, later on when we're billionaires and our, uh, our workforce uh, gets sick or anything like that, we can um, not give them good health insurance. You just said a lot of things. I did say a lot of things, so... If any of you work at Walmart, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't work at Walmart, um, look it up. It's on the Internet. Um, last but not least in the news, Brooke Barrett-Smith and Chris Tomlin both released singles today. Uh, Brooke Barrett-Smith released uh, the debut single Farewell from her upcoming debut album. And Chris Tomlin released a new, uh, uh, a new single called Jesus Messiah. And so check those out. I think they're both pretty good tracks. And they're both out just a little bit ahead of their albums that are dropping within the next uh, three to four weeks. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to go ahead and play a clip from the upcoming release by Cutlass. This track is called The Disease and the Cure. Be right back. We hope you enjoyed that track. Like I said, it's from Cutlass's new album, um, To Know That You're Alive, and the track was called The Disease and the Cure. Actually, that track is dedicated to DG. Don't know your actual name, but you've been hounding me to actually get this podcast done so you could hear some of the tracks. Um, sorry you have to wait till next week, but we did want to go ahead and dedicate that particular track to you. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start talking about books real quick. Um, the first book we're going to be talking about is by Dr... Uh, Tom Sign. It's called The New Conspirators, Creating the Future One Mustard Seed at a Time. Um, this is a, There are a lot of books that are being released right now that are dealing with um, Christians and social action. And what Sign does here is he kind of looks at uh, who the new conspirators are and, and who they are in his mind is kind of the emergent church or the people who affiliate themselves with this emerging theology that's coming out right now. And in the beginning of the book, he kind of lays out who some of those people are, um, what the different streams of emergent theology are. I'm not going to go into all of what that is. Um, then he looks at uh, social justice through the eyes of uh, these different new conspirators. I thought it was a, an interesting book. 
Uh, there's a lot that I was afraid of reading because I really don't agree with emergent theology at all. You've heard us talk about that in our last uh, podcast where we talked about the book Why We're Not Emergent. Um, but overall, I think what Sign is doing is not necessarily explaining his own view, rather as so much as he is looking at the views of others and saying, okay, um, this is the new voice of Christianity that is growing. Like it or not, this is who they are, this is what they say, this is how they view the world. And towards the end of the book, I was really afraid, um, but he, what he does there is he looks at how social action can be done in the world today. And what he really does is he just looks at the old way of doing things. He says, look, you know, basically in a nutshell, he says, this doesn't change. This is the way it's always going to be. This is how social action needs to take place. And I was very, very comfortable with that. I was afraid that he was going to bring some newfangled idea of how social action needs to be done. Um, but instead, what we got was him saying, kind of reminding us rather than telling us new ideas. I, I don't know. I feel like there's been a lot of things written similar to this recently from different perspectives and everything. I guess I'm still just waiting for the definitive book on what emergent theology is. This is good, but I don't think it will be the one that people look back as as like the, you know, the cornerstone work or anything for emergent theology. So, it's I mean if you're if you're looking for something on the topic, this is worth reading. Um, but it's similar to some of the other stuff that's already been written. I I feel. I think you know, I think Tom's a little bit uh, more thorough. Um, obviously. One thing that I will give the emergent church is they do social action very, very well. The church has kind of dropped the ball for years or kind of just gone about it quietly and not really kind of come up with a plan or said this is how it should be done for the next generation. So every new generation that comes up that has to take over the workload kind of bumbles its way through the first years of doing it. And so the emergent church really does social action well, and that's really what I feel sign is focusing on in this book is just the social action perspective. He lays out who they are, kind of what they believe, but the main crux of the book is how are they being active in the world? How are they being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world? And whether I agree with their theology or not, um, they do this, you know, they do this very well. Well, that does seem to be the appropriate way to look at that type of emerging faith, seeing that they will say, we are, you know, doers first and thinkers and writers second. And so that's, I don't know, it's good that he places that emphasis on it. Okay. Uh, next book we're looking at, an actual, another social action book uh, called Deep Justice in a Broken World, Helping Your Kids Serve Others and Right the Wrongs Around Them. This book is by Chap Clark and Kara, uh, Kara E. Powell. It's uh, put out by Zondervan Books. And I thought the book was good in that, you know, again, nothing really new, but it's good in that it's it's for youth. You don't find a lot of um, social action books geared directly towards the youth, uh, towards youth leaders. This book isn't necessarily uh, for youth. It's more for youth leaders to show how they can get their teens uh, involved in socially conscious ministries and not just to do... I mean, it, it takes to task... Um, you know, the whole mission trip mentality. Well, you know, we're rich suburban kids and we're going to go on a mission trip once a year and we're going to feel guilty about, 
you know, the fact that we have iPods and radios and cars and nice clothes and, and nice comfortable homes for about a week or two after getting back. But, you know, after that's over, we're not really caring about those kind of things. And so this book really purports how teens can be involved in this process uh, year in, year out on a daily basis. And I think that that's something that's needed for adults and for teens, but there are a lot of different dynamics that you have to take into consideration when you're dealing with other people's kids. I, I don't know. I disagreed with the book at a premise level, which kind of, you know, at that point turned me against it at the beginning. But basically what they say is there's three types of, way of do, ways of doing justice. There's the, you know, kind of drive-by, throw, you know, a bag of food out to the homeless guy way of doing it. There's the relational approach, which you hear a lot about these days of, getting to know people and getting to know their problems and, like, um, solidarity with the poor, that type of language, um, and still helping them while you're getting to know them. And then the third one is the one they argue for is fixing problems at their roots, you know, changing the society, changing whatever structurally is happening to cause oppression and poverty and stuff. And I feel like that shouldn't be the primary concern for 14-year-olds, um, Quite honestly, because we're not going to be able to fix poverty. And maybe that's just my very, you know, maybe too realistic view, but I feel like God's going to fix the big problems, and our job is to fix individual lives as they come into our lives and to show them God. Sure. So, yeah. I, I think Jesus says, I mean, clearly the Bible says Jesus said, you know, to his disciples, the poor will always be with right. you. Right. So we're not going to fix that problem. But at the same time, I think it's. Uh, there's a saying that you know most people are going to come to know Christ, or the statistic that most people are going to come to know Christ before their 18th birthday, mm -hmm. and you know after that people are pretty set in their ways, generally speaking. And so when you're getting at 13, a 14 year old, maybe even younger, you know, you know 10, you know 10 to 12 years old, and you're getting them involved in social action, you're creating uh, a way of life for them, an understanding uh, of how life is supposed to be and how they are supposed to interact with those who are hurting in the world. And so I think that is an important thing to do. No, I don't think they're going to fix everything. I don't think that the authors of this book are naive enough to think that, okay, you know, the younger we get them, you know, the better the world is going to be. But it is important to get youth involved in this process because, you know, once they're 18, 19 years old, they're getting into the whole, well, maybe even younger than that, they're getting into the whole, you know, me lifestyle. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to church where, it's all about me. I'm going to get clothes that are all about me, that talk about me. I'm going to get music that makes me feel good. And so getting people earlier to think, hey, people are hurting. Life isn't about me necessarily. It's not bad to think about yourself from time to time, obviously. Um, Self-preservation there. But getting them younger to think about social action means that when they get older, it's not going to be so hard to get them involved. Because right now, you try to get 30, 40, 50-year-old people involved in social action. Most people working in socially active ministries tend to be retired. That's the statistic. So we'd like to get them before they're going to be dead after five years of serving in socially active ministries. And I, I totally agree that, especially you know, in youth ministry, service and social action should be a regular part of the ministry. I, all I'm saying is I would shift the focus of my personal youth ministry more towards the people and the uh, the value that comes with being a human rather than focusing on the structure and what causes the oppression and stuff like that. So Okay. Um, 
Last book we're going to look at is called A Friendly Dialogue Between an Atheist and a Christian, also another Zondervan book uh, by Luis Palau and Zhao Quizang. I've probably mispronounced both of their names, uh, but I'm just going to call them Luis and Zhao. <laughs> uh, Luis is actually a um, Christian apologist, a Christian pastor, a Christian evangelist. He goes around the world. Uh, he's been around for years uh, doing this, just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with a, a you know, a dying world. And I, I believe that he's probably one of the premier apologists I've ever read. He's got some great stuff, author of numerous books. Uh, Zhao Quizang is a uh, Chinese um, representative of the Chinese government. And these two had this dialogue in 2005. And this book is basically the written transcript of that dialogue. So you're not reading... Um, what would be considered normal chapters, you are actually reading a literal conversation. So it'll say Louise, and then it'll say Zao, it'll be, you know, you know, response, response, response from each one of them. And so I thought this book was really, really good in terms of the Christian conversation with atheist books that are coming out. You're seeing a lot of those right now. Jim and Casper go to church. Um, I sold my soul on eBay. That's not necessarily a conversation book, but... Um, yet another book by atheists telling you what they do and what they don't like about church, what they do and don't understand about Christianity as a religion. But this conversation was really good because um, both men came away with better understanding of the other person's position and neither would let either get away with, um, you know, really lax answers. You know, both men challenged the other's position to a to the nth degree. What I thought Louise did here really well was um, Zhao would say, you know, well, I believe this about science or about life. And Louise was constantly finding common ground in Zhao's answers, saying, okay, well, you think this. I think you're correct in that what do you think the larger implication of that is in relation to what Jesus said here in scripture? And so he's always bringing it back to Jesus. One of the things I didn't like about the book was they skirted past the issue of the human rights violations going on in, in China right now. And yes, every country has violated somebody's human rights, but China is known for what they've been doing to the persecuted church over there right now especially to the house churches. And uh, they pay lip service to that for like maybe four sentences, and then it's just gone. It's never discussed again. And I thought that this particular conversation was a big chance uh, to discuss that. There may have been rules and regulations saying, you know, you can discuss this and you can't discuss that before they sat down and did this. But I thought that was a big missed chance. It's it's an interesting read in the fact that it is very China centric, you know? Like it's it's not written within an American context. It's not even spoken in English initially, you know. So there's translation issues. Like I don't feel like it's a bad translation or something, but some phrases when you're reading it it doesn't sound formal. It doesn't sound like great literature because it's not. It's a conversation that didn't even happen in the language you're reading it in. Um if you can overlook that, I thought what was being said was fundamentally good, and I really like the fact that they called it a friendly dialogue because the tone of it was friendly. It didn't sound yeah. like a debate at all. It sounded like a conversation. 
Um, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the situation, any situations in China, just nothing that's ever really attracted my attention. Um, but if you're someone that says, you know, that's into that and into this whole atheism, Christianity conversation, this would probably be the perfect book for you because it addresses both. Okay, cool. Well, um, we're going to move on from books right now and we're going to take a break real quick. And we're going to bring you a track from a local band called Altered Paradigm. This track is called Hypocrite. We'll be back in just a minute. That's the first time I've ever said that. Hello, it's Wayne again, and here's Kelvin who's being quiet all of a sudden. <sighs> well, first up, we're going to talk about music uh, during this section, and first we got Toby Mac's new live album CD DVD combo pack. What'd you think of it, Kel? Before I give my what's it called? It's called Alive and Transported. Oh, really? Is that which, the title of the new album by Toby Mac? I'm hoping it is. Uh, it's actually giant words that say Toby Mac and then these little tiny text above it. So, according what, you, to what, the, what text are you talking about? The text on the album cover. Oh, okay. Because everybody listening be can't at? see that. People can't see that. That's why we need to do a video podcast. You want to do a video podcast? No. It'd be called a vodcast then. They don't actually call them vodcasts. They do call them vodcasts. Doesn't make any sense. Video podcast. I would call them a the podcast. Anyway. This will make the deleted scenes, hopefully. Toby Mac. Yeah, what'd you think of it? I, I liked it um, for a live performance. Let's just put it that way. I liked it for a live performance. The man knows how to put on a show. <laughs> He's been on stage for years as he was one-third of DC Talk. But I really felt... Um, I felt that... the I feel the way that this is marketed, the way Toby Mac is marketed is, you know, he's touted as this rap artist, and he comes off as urban from the stage, and I'm like, come on, man, you're, you're not urban, you have no street credibility, the only reason people are coming out to see you is because you're one-third of DC Talk. I do believe that he stands on his own, he puts on a very good show, I think he's the closest that Christians are ever going to get to having a Justin Timberlake of their own. Um, the, diver the diversity band behind him is really good, it features... Uh, Sean Locke and uh, Nervador uh, Saint and uh, Mandisa from uh, American Idol actually shows up and uh, sings on one of the tracks. So I thought that the, the CD was really good. For a live CD, it's, um, it's better than most because a lot of live CDs, you'll just get bits and pieces of the live experience. They'll cut, you know, they'll cut it and then the DVD will be the, the full effect but this was the actual full concert, so it comes in at uh, clocks in at 21 tracks long. They actually did like an eight-song encore 
They, like, end halfway through the show, and they're like, thank you, Houston, have a good night, and they leave. And the people are like, one more song, and then they come out and do eight more songs. I'm like, why would you even do, like, why would you even leave the stage at that point? Why would you pretend to do something like that? But um, overall, I thought it was a good CD. The only two things I didn't like was that uh, they do uh, a cover of In the Light and uh, Jesus Freak, which are both DC Talk songs. He was part of DC Talk. But people didn't come out to see one-third of DC Talk. They came out to see Toby Mac, the solo artist. He has a large enough repertoire where he doesn't have to lean on, you know, the old, you know, glory days music. He's still the most popular of the three artists that are out from DC Talk days. I think he could have uh, done this concert without those tracks. But other than that, the show is really good. The DVD is well done. It's filmed very well. Um... A lot of shots, you know, wide shots of the crowd and of the band, and then close-up shots of Toby Mac. He jumps off the stage um, really, really far out into the crowd. I was really scared at that part in the DVD. I thought they might drop him. But I don't think they would have released the DVD if they had dropped him. That would have been a really short DVD. It would have been a really short DVD, depending on when he did it in That's the show. That's true. If he did it towards the tail end. Um, they sure. probably still would have released it. Rolling credits as yeah. the ambient. I mean, they released The Crow. Brandon Crow. Uh, Brandon uh, Lee got shot uh, like towards the tail end of filming The Crow, and they still released that. So they could have dropped Toby Mac, and uh, they still would have released it if it had been towards the end of the show. That would have sold well. I mean, I, I'm glad yeah. it didn't happen. Or it would have hit YouTube. That, that particular thing yeah. would have been on somebody's camera phone. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been shaky, but you would get the, the gist of what had happened. Um, um, I think... I think this is something that's worth watching a lot more than it's worth listening to, unless you really like live CDs. And I personally don't, so that's my bias coming out. But, unless it's Five Iron Frenzy. Um, Shut up, you're as, just in the crowd, as Tom. As the crowd reminded me. I did, I did tell him that earlier, though. Five Iron Frenzy stands out as the one band that puts on better live albums than the regular albums. But, uh... I wouldn't listen to it more than once, but it gives you it even the CD gives you a feel for the energy he has on stage, and that's cool. All right, uh, well, moving on, we're gonna look at a band called Altered Paradigm. They're actually uh, the track you just heard was called Hypocrite from Altered Paradigm, and they are a local band from Clarkston, Michigan. They're about uh, 25 minutes from our present location. I really like them. I thought that their sound was kind of the vocals of Creed and the spiritual bent of Creed meets the instrumentality of Metallica. So I really like their hard rock sound. They're kind of like a metalish sound. Uh, but they have a turntable, which is a little bit strange for uh, a rock band. But other than that, they're a straight-ahead rock sound. Really like the guitars, really like the drums, really like the vocals of this band. Thought they were uh, really solid through and through. I think they're going to make a lot of fans. It's an independent release. So hopefully they'll get picked up by somebody. I think they're being courted by a few people already. Uh, if they're not, they're going to be on somebody's radar pretty quickly. Um, what did you think, Wayne? Well, completely disagree with you. Well, not completely. I mean, I agree on all like the fact that they live down the street and stuff like that. <laughs> but, they do, in fact, live down the street. And, and I do agree that they do sound like a mix between Creed and Metallica. I mean, not quite that good, but... They sound like that's. The Wait, song. which do you think is good, Metallica or Creed? No, I'm just saying the like the quality, like oh, the okay. talent involved. Okay. Um, if the guy from Creed joined Metallica, I would hate that band. So thus, I don't like this. This isn't the kind of music that I would listen to. Um, I haven't listened to it in a long time. It it reminds me of some other stuff, um, like Linkin Park with less rap, without any rap actually, but okay. it's still got that feel. Um, kind of like yelling, singing a little bit. Um. 
kind of sounds like Seventh Day Slumber a little. It's just not my thing. And it's very few people's thing these days, I feel. It. Clearly it's yours, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And there's, I mean, they have fans. People go through their shows. I doubt they're going to get signed, though. Um, I hate to say that about a band, um, especially since I know what that's like to be, you know, doing the local scene for a while and trying to get signed. But Okay, we should make a bet right now. I bet they will get signed. I, I'm pretty positive unless they, they, this album won't get signed. I, I think, well, it's a you know, independent release. So right, I'm saying well, they're they going to they're gonna have to record and put out something else before they catch anyone. I think some catch. of these tracks will be on there. I think one of the things, if they get signed and they get a you know big label debut and all that stuff, I think several of these tracks will make it on there. And what I like about this band is that there is a lot of instrumental talent here. I mean, way beyond what you hear in a lot of uh, Christian rock bands that are in the same vein. Or just on par, just you know, on the same level as some of the. Other. I think they're on par with, with Pillar or Skillet, and those guys are huge right now. There's a, they, these guys to me, um, what I heard was a lot of attention to detail musically, and so I like that about them. And I also think that their approach is subversively orthodox, and blatantly awesome. That's what I say in the review. Actually, that'll be hitting the the website. It actually hit the website. Uh, today, if you're listening to this, it's Wednesday by now. Um, but I think that their music, it, instead of saying Jesus, 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 every single lyric, their music is... I think they only have one blatantly spiritual song. One that you could definitely say, okay, this is a song to God. And I think that makes their music very accessible. I think that's going to open a lot of doors for them. They're going to be able to play in a lot of venues that, they're other, that they otherwise might not be able to play in and then be able to say, hey, you know what? Um, this is the message behind the lyrics. This is who we believe in. This is, you know, this is what we're about. And I like that. And I think that speaks into the name Altered Paradigm. I would love to do an interview with these guys. Um, since they're local, I don't think that should be too hard. So hopefully we'll be able to feature uh, that on the website or in maybe a, a live audio uh, interview on one of our next podcasts. But that's what I like about the band is that they're not out there saying, you know, Jesus, 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 every other word. A lot of Christian bands fall into that particular spectrum, and that's fine. That's needed. But I think these guys are going to have more doors open to them because Jesus influences uh, who they are rather than, you know, every single, you know, lyric that they have to write. I, I think their audience is limited already. If they would have come around six years ago, uh, back when you, know, when you had Cutlass and Seventh Day Slumber and Pillar were starting to get a little more popular and get out of the kind of that rap kick that they were on to start off with, um, they, they might have done well. They would have signed along with the wave of like, I think you know, like a band like 12 Stones or something. Um, that's what they remind me oh, I think they're of. way better than 12 Stones. I hated 12 Stones. but I hated 12 Stones, too. Um, and I liked that kind of music back I then. I think that feeds into something different, though, because, okay, yeah, that time has passed. And so now, when those bands come along, these bands like Altered Paradigm come along with this particular sound, that, yes, okay, it's been done. There's nothing new under the sun. I'll admit that. There was a time when all of these type of bands, everybody sounded like that, and so you had a lot of bands that came out like that. Well, now... There aren't many bands that are sounding like that. So Altered Paradigm comes along, and they sound fresh. People are ready to hear this particular sound. Not yet. You know I mean, so? maybe, maybe in ten years this kind of music will sound fresh again, but right now it just brings back bad memories of, you know, baggy cargo pants and, and so stuff like that. We'll, we'll hear that they make it big, 
you know, ten years from now, and they'll be like, "We've been playing for ten years." Maybe that's All possible, right. and that's, I mean, that's what happens with a lot of bands. Like yeah. the Verve Pipe, that song came out a long time ago called "The Freshman," but they and everybody's like, "Oh, this debut band!" Like they had like eight albums before that song made it big. So maybe that's what will happen with that's, you know with Altered that's Paradigm. That's their too. best, probably their best bet, or to change up their their sound. I do want to throw this out there: the recording production for being a local recording was really good. Um, it was done at Fitter Happier Studios in Trenton, I think. Um, good friend of mine recorded them, so I gotta plug it. But he is really good. So if you're in the Michigan area and you're looking for someone to record with, call Josh Wheeler. <laughs> Affordable prices with top brand equipment. Um, no, it really is good, though. Okay, cool. Next band we're gonna talk about uh, drops next Tuesday. Cutlass to know that you're alive on Tooth and Nail Records. Um, I thought this was a return to form for the band. I really, really liked it. I thought that it had a, a great sound. Um, really, that's that's what I had to say. I think I gave it a four out. Of, oh, and you know what? I didn't even review this album. What am I talking about? I just have the album, and I really liked it. Cameron Stabila did the uh, the actual reviewing of it. Um, who couldn't be here tonight because he's down at the Demon Hunter Show downtown Detroit. He's interviewing them live tonight. So that should hopefully be on our next podcast. Um but Cameron really liked it. I really liked it. Cameron's a huge Cutlass fan. I wish he were here for this particular podcast. But like I said, it was a return to form. Really liked the sound. What'd you think? Well, I mean, I, I think I just stated, and I've stated before, what I think about this overall sound. I was a Cutlass fan for a while. I liked their first two albums. I think they put together a really good uh, worship album in Strong Tower. Like, I liked that CD still. Um, and then the one that came after it, the name's escaping me. But it was... Something about a heart or something like that. Anyway, if you're a Cutlass fan, you know what it is. It's the album before this was not good. Okay. I didn't like it at all. This, I can at least say this, this improved a lot. Okay. This is a, their best CD in a while. Well, we're going to take some questions from our live audience real quick. Um, hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, hey, you, you in the front row. Tom? Tom, I, right? I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tom. Um, I listened to the song, or I don't remember what it was called, but my friend was was playing the CD, and it sounded to me a lot like the bands Maylene and the Sun of Disaster, or The Showdown, but with not quite as good of vocals, because the vocalist seems to have not really progressed, whereas the band has. Their music is much, much better than their earlier albums. Now, there's been a line change up, too, so that might have had something to do with that. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know all the, all the background with the band, but... I definitely, like, have known Cutlass for a long time. Not personally or whatever, but I bought their first album. Anyway, their music has definitely progressed. Their vocals are kind of, I don't know, they're the same that they used to be, which I did like way back in the day, but I have kind of matured in my musical like likings. So what you're saying is you're a musical snob now. Uh, I guess so. And, and you're in good company here. There's at least one of us, and then there's Calvin. Um, <laughs> well, we've run out of time for asking questions from our audience. <laughs> but I do, I do agree real quick with what Tom said. Uh, the the southern rock sound uh, that they kind of picked up is a lot more contemporary than their old stuff. And the guitars are kind of sweet. They have some good riffs. All right. Final album we're going to talk about is uh, Jason Life on Life. Uh, Jason's one of the uh, members of the 116 Click, which is where you get uh, Trip Lee, Tadashi, uh, Shobaraka, a lot of the guys on Reach Records. Actually, Jason's not actually on Reach Records, which is surprising to me. I think he should be. Um, I'm probably sure he has his reasons for why he's not. But 
His music is absolutely amazing. One of the things I said in my review was that if Trip Lee is the theologian in the group, then Jason is the head of the discipleship program because that is really what the album Life on Life is all about is um, discipleship, you know, pouring your life into somebody else. That's what Life on Life means. And he's got a lot of uh, guest vocalists that show up on the track. All the other 116 uh, click members are there. Trip Lee, Tadashi, uh, Baraka, Future, Flame. They all show up um, and, you know, offer to, you know, they've all laid down some tracks here. The sound is really good. I actually think this is one of the best rap albums I have ever heard. The only downside to the album is that when it comes to rap music, a lot of different songs are produced by a lot of different people and the mastering process uh, wasn't done so well. One of the things that I found myself doing was I would hear one song and I'd have to turn it way up to really hear what was being said, and then on the next track I would have to scramble to you know, turn my radio down because the levels were so high. So there's not a sense, uh, it kind of led to a, a disjointed listening experience. Um, but as far as lyrics go, I think that this is one of the best Christian rap albums of all time. I think it was phenomenal. What did you think? Um, I like Triple E better. You did? Yeah, and again, I am an outsider when it comes to rap music. And my, I don't even know why I ask Wayne's opinion. opinion. Why do I give my opinion my on opinion rock? Why shouldn't do you matter. <laughs> right. But heard Triple E, really liked it, still waiting to borrow that from you. This one I probably won't ask for. Didn't sound bad. That that mixing problem that you're talking about is weird, though. To have to adjust the volume is very, which is not very professional. But I don't know, it didn't sound bad. It's just not my thing, I guess. Okay, cool. All right, well, that's all we have to say about music today. And we will be right back with some movie reviews. Uh, listen to this song from Jason, which uh, which Wayne didn't like. But I didn't say <laughs> I didn't like it. It just it didn't stun me. All right. Well, this next song is called Listening Choice. We'll be back in just a moment. Actually, I'm going to be the only one who talks right now because uh, Wayne has had to take a bathroom break and I'm the only one who has seen the two movies that we're about to talk about. So, anyway, two movies we're going to talk about are The Strangers and The Incredible Hulk. First, The Strangers. Don't go see it. Absolutely horrible. Uh, horribly acted. Um, the script is terrible. It's just a bad movie. It stars um, Liv Tyler, um, who plays, you know in the Lord of the Rings movies. She's also in The Incredible Hulk, interestingly enough. And uh, Scott Speedman, who played uh, in the uh, the two Underworld movies that came out. He was uh, the lichen, you know, the werewolf vampire hybrid guy. And I went and saw this movie. It's basically about 
these two people who go off to this this house in the woods or this summer home and then all of a sudden they're attacked by these crazy people and the only motive these people have of killing them is because they were home there's absolutely no reason whatsoever uh, given there's no mystery there's no story it's just crazy people trying to kill other innocent people and it made my stomach turn I actually got up and left the movie about an hour and 20 minutes into the film I just I had had enough I had I didn't know what the movie was before I went a group of friends of mine were gonna go see it so I went to go see it and it really just made me sick the movie was sold out um, it was opening night that we went to see it and it's loosely based on a true story which makes me wonder why people go to see this because when you hear about this stuff on the news happening in real life we think that's just sick that's horrible and how can people do that yet this movie comes out and it sells out people want to go see it now I normally do not I don't I never expect Christian behavior from non-Christians I believe that's wrong so I didn't go in thinking okay you know this had better have a Christian message but even people who aren't Christians should know better than to make a movie like this this movie was absolutely atrocious like I said already bad acting already bad script but just the premise people killing people for no reason just it was very very disturbing and I had to get up and leave and I went and sat in the lobby and just waited for the rest of my friends to come out they totally disagreed with me uh, except for you know they thought it was a you know bad you know bad acting but they paid ten bucks so they weren't gonna walk out I got my money back but I was just offended I don't believe Christians have any business going to see this kind of movie it's just that atrocious. It's just that bad. It's just that wrong. Stay away from the strangers. As for The Incredible Hulk, The Incredible Hulk, absolutely amazing. Totally redeemed the first movie, which we're not going to talk about at all, um, which is actually what the, the movie did. This new movie, The Incredible Hulk, um, told the story of the first movie in the opening credits, trying to basically pretend like the first one didn't happen at all. The acting was superb. The story was great. Not as good as Iron Man, but it's up there. We're starting to see a sense of continuity in the films. Uh, there's a cameo by another Marvel character at the end of the movie uh, that I won't reveal to you who it is, but it's really cool because uh, there's a big scene that happens in New York, and one of the things I've always wondered about is, okay, look, the X-Men are in the New York area. A Fantastic Four movie took place in New York area. Spider-Man took place in the New York area. There's a monster running around in New York, and none of these guys show up to help. You know, how does that happen? Um, it's not very realistic. So as the new Marvel movies coming out are trying to base themselves more and more in reality, you're starting to see continuity and crossover between the films. So I thought that was really good. And there were also a lot of nods to comic book fans that didn't alienate um, people who didn't know much about uh, the mythology behind The Incredible Hulk. For instance, uh, uh, Bruce Banner's uh, girlfriend or love interest is dating a guy named Dr. Sampson who happens to be in the comic books. He is uh, Bruce Banner's uh, best friend and confidant. Um, there's another guy, Samuel Stearns, Dr. Samuel Stearns in the movie, um, who becomes uh, the Hulk's arch nemesis later on down the road no, uh, known as the leader. And then there, you know, there's, you know, the purple uh, 
sweatpants that are alluded to in the movie, and Lou Ferrigno shows up, who played the Hulk on the old TV show, and they play the old music from the old TV show. So there were a lot of things that were added to the movie that were really nods to fans of the old show and, and the comic book, but weren't alienating to people who, who knew nothing about the Hulk. So the movie was very, very well done, totally redeemed uh, the former film. Uh, and Bruce Banner is played by Edward Norton, who was always good, very phenomenal acting. A little bit less than what I'm used to from him, but still he brings uh, a certain something to all of his performances. Liv Tyler um, played his love interest. She was really good. They kind of fleshed her out quite a bit uh, more than they did in the original film. Um, and just, just all the acting in this film was very well done. The action sequences were amazing. The thing that I like about Hulk is that things get destroyed. You can't have a Hulk movie without a lot of action, and that's what you had in the former movie. In this one, they redeemed it five times in the film. He turns into the Hulk, and there's some major damage that takes place. Very, very good. Um, so, if you have the chance, spend the ten bucks, go see the Hulk, or the, go see the Incredible Hulk. Um, don't go see the Hulk. Don't rent the Hulk. The Hulk is horrible. But the Incredible Hulk is absolutely incredible in every sense of the word. So, um, that's all I have to say about movies. Well, thanks for listening. That's all we have for today. Uh, we're glad that you came and listened. I uh, hope you enjoyed the, the discussion and the, the, the music clips. And we'd like to thank our live studio audience, Tom Webb. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Yeah. He's awesome. He's great questions and his studio presence. Wayne is back. But uh, we're going to say goodbye. That's all we have for today. So uh, see you later. Jump start my heart, I'll make a sleeper inside